0: Of it. I don't know why. I just became obsessed with it.
2: An obsession that grew one um pa at a time. Vincent Simonetti spoke to us over Skype from his Tuba Museum in Durham, North Carolina. This is NPR News.
1: Support for Mississippi Edition comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, offering hybrid doctorates, K-12 leadership, higher education, and math education. Combine online and face-to-face courses to graduate in three years. Details at education.olemiss.edu.
3: Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a memorial service is held in Jackson for two nuns brutally murdered in Durant then getting out the vote this November. Later, a story card conversation from Mississippi on imparting some wisdom to younger generations. And the latest on the Zika virus is a vaccine on the way.
0: Whether or not you're going to see cases along other states on the Gulf Coast, including Mississippi, Louisiana, and Texas, it's very difficult to predict. There certainly is the potential because of the weather conditions in the Gulf Coast states.
3: That's all coming up. nuns who were brutally slain are being remembered for the lives of service they led. Sister Paula Merrill and Sister Margaret Held were stabbed to death in their Durant home last week. 46-year-old Rodney Earl Sanders faces two counts of capital murder in the case. He's being held without bond, awaiting trial. At Cathedral of St. Peter the Apostle Catholic Church in Jackson, mourners celebrated the lives of the nuns. Sister Susan Gatz and Sister Rosemary Rumbalski attended the service. They told MPB's Desiree Fraser the nuns left many good memories behind among those who knew and loved them. Sister Susan speaks first.
4: A thousand things cross your mind and I guess the biggest thing was feeling so um, shocked at first you're stunned and then the biggest thing was to feel how Um, sad you felt that these two peaceful women died violently. So just trying to to put that together in your head is just a real challenge. Do you know how long they were there in uh, Holmes County? Uh, They've been there for about at least 10 years. They've been there for a long time. They were in, they moved to a couple of different clinics. They were in Marks, they were in... But in Holmes County, I think it's about 10 years. I think 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 that's right. To me it feels like 13,
2: but that's, um, as we're guesstimating now. Not only are we Margaret's community, Margaret is one of our best friends, and we share in ministry with her. And our feeling is that where one of us is, all of us are, because we are so much present to each other and aware of the support and care and love that we have for each other. Were you in Wisconsin when you heard about this? Uh, No, I was traveling to Alabama for a meeting this weekend, and I got the call as we were in travel. What have you been able to find out from law enforcement at this point? Have you looked into
4: anything like that so far?
2: The law enforcement has been very helpful and and responsive to us. Um, However, uh, they too are careful that what is shared yet doesn't need to be out there until everything is finalized.
4: Tell me a little bit about these two ladies. What were they like? I'll talk about Paula, and Rosemary can talk about Margaret. Paula was a delightful woman. She was quiet, but she had a a fun side to her. She enjoyed life. Uh, She and Margaret had lived together for about 30 years. And so, um, you know, we were saying earlier that kind of how they divided up the work was Margaret was an excellent cook, so she cooked. And Paula, she could fix things, and so she took care of the maintenance at the house. So, you know, between the two of them, they had a a pretty good thing going there in terms of, of running a household. They loved each other, and really Paula was an excellent, as was Margaret, an excellent nurse practitioner. They were excellent in the skills that they had, but I think what made them absolutely outstanding was that they cared for the people that they they served. They weren't just patients. They were part of their community. And they lived that way. These people, they went out of their way to, after hours, go and visit people and help them. If people didn't have money for medicine, they had a little fund that they used to help people to do that. They begged the drug companies to give them samples of things so that they could give to people. So they went over and above because they loved those people. And that love came because they believed that all of these people they were serving were people of God. What's going to happen to the work that they were doing? That's one of the big worries that we have is how can that clinic go on? Because we know that the people that they were serving desperately need needed for them to be there and
2: something needs to happen there so that they get the care Tell me about Margaret. With our community, one of the things we feel strongly about, that as religious Franciscans, we are committed, commissioned, and sent. And that was very strong for Margaret. She felt that call to service in healthcare profession here in Mississippi very strongly. She was offered a number of opportunities to come back to Milwaukee, and her commitment here was just unbelievable. And as Susan said, they found all sorts of ways of reaching out to other people who could help them so that they could really service the poor. Margaret loved life, and she appreciated people. Uh, Margaret had a knack for being present to people in a way that helped them be comfortable and at home. When I saw her operating within her health profession, it was very obvious that, that she knew how to be present to the people as they were and were able to minister to them. Her gift of life has been shared by so many, and we trust and pray that that gift of life now in them will continue to be shared.
3: MPB's Desiree Fraser with sister Susan Gatz and Rosemary Rombowski at a memorial service yesterday in Jackson for two mu- nuns murdered in Durant last week. In other news, a voting rights group is working to register as many Mississippians as it can before the November general election. MPB's Paul Boger reports.
1: The National League of Women Voters is pushing to reach one in five women in the U.S. this year by registering them to vote while also educating individuals on how to cast a ballot. Barbara Powell is the president of the Jackson chapter of the League. She says the organization's history in the suffrage movement still plays a role today.
2: When they got the right to vote, they formed the League of Women Voters to help encourage women to vote wisely, not to tell them how to vote, but to study issues and think about, you know, to be able to cast an informed vote.
1: The League will head to college campuses and civic events over the next month to set up booths and help Mississippians register to vote. Powell says the Mississippi League is interested in issues that could potentially make voting easier for many.
2: Uh, to have early voting available to the people so that if you can't go on the day of the election, You can go before the election, and states that have this find they have more people taking part in election and voting.
1: The last day to register to vote is October 8th, 30 days before the general election. Paul Boger, MPB News.
3: Up next, a StoryCorps conversation from Mississippi on imparting some wisdom to younger generations. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: MPB is getting its very own car tag, but first, we need your help. To begin production, we need 300 of you to say yes to the tag. Go to mpbonline.org slash cartag for more information and also to sign up. A portion of the fee goes to help MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. Thanks for your help, and we'll see you on the road.
0: After this election cycle come November, one thing is clear whether Donald Trump wins or loses, the Republican
3: Party is changing. I, I just think this is where the this is where the mindset of working class people have been for some time. Trump just came along and filled a vacuum.
0: The lasting effect of Trumpism later on all things considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on
5: NPB, Think Radio.
1: MPB Think Radio is your voice for Mississippi. If you or your community has an event coming up and you'd like help spreading the word, send us an email to PSA at mpbonline.org.
3: Willie Faye Wilson Martin's life has changed a lot over more than 73 years. During her stop
1: on the Mississippi StoryCorps mobile tour, Willie Fay tells her grandchildren all
3: about the rustic existence of her childhood.
5: After my brother, seven years old, when I was born, then I was born, and then my parents conceived from then on up until the number of nine. Ended up being nine. My mother told me that she was married for four years before my brother was born. And then when he was born, and then she didn't concede no more until after seven years. And then I come along. And then my next sibling, which is a girl, uh, after me, she was born, I think, in 44 or something. But anyway, back then, they, I don't know how they knew how to do it, but they knew how, to, know how to space the children for some reason. But nowadays, you know, like when, well, that's another question. So, but anyway, it was five boys of us out of our nine, five boys and four girls. I have a lot of familiar stories about how we got along because at the time, we just had a small dwelling. You know, everybody didn't have a room, their own bed. Right. You didn't even have, we didn't even have inside bath hallelujah we 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 had to uh, take our bath what we call a tub bath and a wash tub and a and, and a foot tub, and whatever would hold water if you' healthy enough for you to take a bath that's how you had to do it. I'm not talking about you put your whole body in and then gush and go on you know you might could stand up and, and and pull the water up and let it come down, but you couldn't uh merge you whole body into it and then we had to go out to use the bathroom we have to take turns and we used to me and my sisters and brothers we used to get excited when eating time come we used to love to to eat behind our father whoever beat first they would put their hand on his chair and wait until he get up and he caught on to us what we were doing and then he would uh take his time thought that one was gonna give up and leave so the next one could come in, in place and and what we would be excited to want to do to chew his skin off his bacon because he couldn't chew it as he eat a piece of bacon he will lay it beside his plate lay it on the side and when he will release his seat with the next one sit down you would be glad that you had meat skin because you could take them and we would play a game with the skin because <laughs> when you crunch them, they they'll go loud, loud. We could see who could crunch the loudest. We had to figure out how to entertain, I would say, do different games with things like that, mm. you know, right? just crunching the skin. I got it this time. Oh, but you ain't going to beat me the next time. I'm going to be there, and you figure out a way that I'm going to be first. My mom and my dad used to have what you call, we call it, they told us that they was giving us fireside training. And what I mean by fireside, we would sit around the fireplace in chairs. The fire was in front of us, keeping us warm, and they was assuring far-side training, how to carry ourselves, how to live, how to treat one another, and not get in trouble, not not to cause them to have to go to the jailhouse. My mom's input on it, she would always tell us, girl, so you can fool some of the boy and let him mess you up. She said, I ain't gonna walk to the front door right there to make nobody's son marry you. That's gonna be on your own, because We're teaching you now and training you, don't mess up your life.
3: To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps Mobile Tour, go to mpbonline.org.
1: The StoryCorps Mobile Tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. MPB Think Radio is your voice for Mississippi. If you or your community has an event coming up and you'd like help spreading the word, send us an email. You've got mail. To PSA at mpbonline.org. This is
3: Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 18 cases of travel-related Zika virus have been reported in Mississippi so far this year. No instances of mosquito-borne transmissions of the disease have been reported in the state as of yet. In Florida, which is not that far away, things are different. According to the Centers for Disease Control, 29 mosquito transmissions of Zika have been reported there. Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, tells us the number is most certainly higher than that. It's just that reporting naturally lags behind transmission. Dr. Fauci tells us a vaccine against Zika could be ready as early as 2018.
0: Certainly, there are locally transmitted cases in Florida. Locally transmitted means that people are infected there without having ever left the continental United States, namely The cycle gets started by someone who has a travel-related case, someone who's been infected in South America, Central America, or the Caribbean, uh, visits the continental United States, in this case Florida, and then you have the beginning of a cycle of mosquitoes biting an individual uh, who is a travel case and then biting someone who's never left the continental United States, and that by definition is called a local transmitted case. We've seen Several of these, those some of which are individual cases that dead end with that person, and others are clusters of cases that are related to each other. The two areas that are most intensively involved in Florida is a neighborhood called Wynwood, which is just north of Miami, and the other is the South Beach section of Miami Beach. We've seen cases occur. Uh, I would not be surprised if we see other cases occur. The way you address this is by very aggressive mosquito control. Whether or not you're going to see cases of similar type along other states on the Gulf Coast, including Mississippi, Louisiana, and Texas, it's very difficult to predict. There certainly is the potential because of the weather conditions in the Gulf Coast states. You're in the middle of summer, the weather's moist, damp, there's rainfall, and there's copious mosquitoes. The way one prevents that from happening or if it does happen with a single case, the best way to control it is to be very aggressive with your mosquito control measures. So Let me I just
3: interrupt w- for a second, Dr. Fauci. How are these cases diagnosed? Because as I understand, the symptoms could be related to a lot of different right. things.
0: Well, first of all, 80% of the people who get infected have no symptoms. So that makes it very complicated. The 20% who have symptoms uh, have a rather mild illness that's rather typical in its presentation. Most of the people, overwhelming majority, have a rash. They have fever, they have aches and pains, and they have what's called conjunctivitis. The way you make a diagnosis is if someone has the symptoms, there is a diagnostic test that can definitively say whether you're infected with Zika or not. It's a test for whether you are infected after you clear the virus, the test to determine whether you were infected in the past is a little bit more complicated because it isn't as specific as the direct test during the period of time when you're infected. So that's how the diagnosis was made in the Florida patients. If
3: 80% of people don't show symptoms, then can we assume that there are many, many more cases of Zika than is known?
0: Well, there's no doubt about that. I mean, that's an assumption that's a very reasonable assumption. For example, in the United States, in the continental United States, there are 2,500 recognized cases of Zika that have been travel-related cases. It is an assumption, quite reasonable, that there are many more people who've been infected with Zika are in the United States, but who don't recognize that they are infected. So if there are 2,500 recognized cases, there could be as many as 8 to 10,000 total of people who are infected, but most of whom don't have symptoms.
3: If you're a pregnant woman and you live in South Beach or one of those neighborhoods of Miami, what do you do?
0: To do whatever you possibly can to protect yourself from getting bit by a mosquito. And there are several ways to do that. Sometimes it isn't always easy or possible, but to the extent possible, stay indoors in air-conditioned places, either at work or at home. Uh, Make sure that the screens on your doors and your window are intact so that mosquitoes can't get in. Uh, I know the weather is very warm, but if at all possible, wear light clothing that covers a substantial part of your body and on the exposed parts of your body liberally use insect repellent, particularly insect repellent that contains DEET. The health officials can help out by trying to clean up the environment, get rid of standing water where mosquitoes breed very readily. And that standing water can be anywhere, in a pots and pans, tires, even a vesicle as small as a bottle cap. And then if that doesn't work, or even concomitant with that at the same time, is to try and kill the larvae and kill the mosquitoes by spraying. And you could do that either by backpack spraying, truck spraying, or as they've done in some places in Florida, even aerial spraying. So the bottom line is a very aggressive control of mosquitoes, as well as trying to prevent yourself from getting uh, bitten by a mosquito. If you don't live in the Wynwood or South Beach section, uh, it is advised, and the guideline is, that pregnant women do not travel to those areas.
3: Why isn't there, or when might there be, a vaccine?
0: Well, we are very uh, actively working on a vaccine for Zika right now. We've started a phase one trial, namely to determine the safety of the candidate on August the 2nd in a total of what will be 80 individuals. Uh, We'll know probably by the end of this calendar year, in November or December, if in fact this candidate is safe and it induces the kind of response that you would predict would be protective. If that's the case, which I assume it will be, then we'll move quickly into what's called a Phase 2 trial, uh, not with 80 people, but with 2,400 to 5,000 people in areas where there's active transmission to determine if, in fact, it works, namely, is it effective? Now, that takes time. So, Uh, The earliest we possibly could know whether a vaccine works or not is sometime in 2018, and that's the best case scenario. It might even take longer.
3: Last question for you. Because the local transmission is occurring in the Miami area, do you have a timeline or a a path that's been set of how it will travel into the U.S., where it will go, when it might happen?
0: No, it's quite unpredictable. Again, because remember, this is, uh, this is transmitted not only by mosquitoes, which is the primary way it's transmitted, but it's also sexually transmitted. So there are a lot of travel-related cases in New York. There are travel-related cases in California. They're scattered throughout many states uh, of the United States. Uh, When there are mosquitoes that can transmit it, that's one way, but there's also sexual transmission. And it's completely unpredictable to say when and where and if you're going to have the kind of outbreak that we're seeing in Florida, whether we're going to see it any other place. It's very difficult to predict.
3: Anthony S. Fauci is director of the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Dr. Fauci, thank you very much.
0: You're quite welcome.
3: Coming up after Mississippi edition, it's Money Talks in Legal Terms and Southern Remedy. And remember, if you want to catch Mississippi edition outside the broadcast, just search for the podcast in the Apple or Android app stores. The show's podcast is right there and you can listen to it whenever you like. It's easy. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio.
1: Support for Mississippi Edition comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, offering hybrid doctorates, K-12 leadership, higher education, and math education. Combine online and face-to-face courses to graduate in three years. Details at education.olemiss.edu.